the Imperfect Buddha Podcast. The podcast that's willing to go where other Buddhist podcasts fear to tread. Each episode features a topical discussion and a bit of banter, or an interview with an interesting guest. You can download episodes from SoundCloud and get stuck into the discussion over at our dedicated Facebook page. We also do Twitter, and you can find out more on many of the topics discussed over at the Post-Traditional Buddhism website. The Imperfect Buddha podcast is sponsored by O'Connell Coaching. If you're interested in exploring a contemporary, pragmatic and coaching style approach to personal development, spiritual practice, meditation and so forth, feel free to get in touch. If you're interested or stimulated to think further and get practical with any of the material that comes up in any of the podcast episodes, I might just be able to help. So get in touch. You can go to the O'Connell Coaching page and find out more. The music on this podcast episode is by Vessel, member of the Young Echo Sound Collective from Bristol, UK. Red Sex is the song you will hear at the end of this show, and it was chosen by Hokai himself from a selection of tunes I sent him. If you want to find out more about him and his music, well, you can find him on YouTube, but also on the Young Echo webpage. Welcome to the Imperfect Buddha Podcast. This is part one of a two-part episode. Recently, in a beautiful day in Trieste, Matthew sat down with our guest today, Hokai Sabol, and had the following interesting and engaging discussion. So who is Hokai, our guest this week on the podcast? Hokai Sabol is a practitioner, pathfinder, and mentor. Besides guiding a local Buddhist group gathered in the Mandala Society of Croatia, he works with a number of individual practitioners around the globe whom he meets regularly over Skype for mentoring. Hokai proposes that deep practice can be pursued in the midst of one's life, as long as it is clearly distinguished from religious activities and therapeutic transactions. Matthew first came across Hokai in the Buddhist Geeks podcast and was delighted to find him living just an hour away. He has known Hokai for several years now, both as a mentor and as part of a developing friendship. In addition, I was directed to some of Hokai's Buddhist Geeks episodes prior to leaving Shambhala Europe. As a direct result of this, I've been working and practicing with Hokai as a mentor for the past few years. I enjoy his unique and individualized approach, as well as his sense of humor. Further to listen to this podcast, we're inviting questions for Hawkeye for a follow-up episode. Following the material that you engage with today, welcome questions, queries, and informed content for Hawkeye to get back to. Please post your questions to the SoundCloud page or to the Imperfect Butter podcast Twitter feed. So what did I enjoy today? My takeaways were knowing and understanding the different approaches of Western Buddhism and how that can enrich my understanding, how to realistically rehumanize practice and define our expectations as practitioners, as well as what an anti-formulaic approach can provide for us within the context of our practice and ongoing engagement with Buddhism. Both myself and Matthew are very pleased to host and to showcase Hawkeye, and we trust that you find this podcast engaging, informative, and fun. Last time we met, we'd, we'd had a list of questions and we picked, we divided them into two parts. Yeah. So just for the listener, this is take two. This is take two. And then the... The stars weren't aligned properly. My biorhythm was off and you did a poor job. And my fifth <laughs> chakra was a little, you know. Yeah. 
a little stuffy. Stuffy, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mine too. In fact, if I remember, I was actually just getting over uh, a cold. So I wasn't brilliant. And there you so go. So I accept your criticism. There you go. Yeah. And I'll try, I'll try to do better today. But the thing you said at the end of our conversation last time was, you never want to have this conversation again. <laughs> <laughs> We're just making sure it, it's out of the way. <laughs> so the last time, in preparation for our conversation, we divided the questions up into two halves. Yeah. Right? So I think all of the questions were, you know, potentially interesting, and I'm happy to go anywhere with them. So rather than reinvent the wheel, why don't we go, I'm going to read you some of these questions, and you're, you can tell me if any of them stand out as particularly interesting for you. Okay. All right. So we had why practice? What is practice? What is are its purposes? How do you view the whole idea of post-traditional approaches to Buddhism these days since you held that workshop many moons ago for Buddhist geeks? Okay. Um, how do you conceive of awakening in Buddhism? Is it realistic? And is there perhaps a better way of thinking about outcomes and serious practice? That, that might be worth looking at, especially the second bit of the question. Five, what's current or important in your own practice at this time? And what do you struggle with in the relationship between formal practice and life? Five, how are you continuing to live with the consequences of pre-modern, modern, post-modern post thought and practice and Buddhism as a practitioner, teacher, mentor, man? Oh, God. That's quite a big one, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, what do you think are the particular tensions that need addressing between these three? Um, that's a big question. Seven, I've heard you mention it before. We got into this one. This was quite interesting. Maybe we can come back to this one. What is mysticism in terms of practice? And I added something. Does it not lead to resignation, to ineffability, perennialism, and over-conflating subject experience and assuming it's universal? Uh, what concerns you most? This is number eight about the current state of Buddhism in the West. Uh, we might start with that one. What can Buddhism still offer to Westerners in your view? Quite a few, huh? Number nine and number ten, the last two. Uh, did you listen to our podcast interview with Mr. Chapman? Uh, what do you make of his work on Keegan's stages, stages of development and the whole idea of emotional maturation, which is perhaps not an explicit feature of Buddhism, and he's linking it to Tantra? And finally, to what degree do we need to fashion a contemporary Western form of practice? And do you think mindfulness is able to contribute to this, or does it perhaps form a basis uh, for not doing so? That's quite a lot there. Oh, wow. Does any of it jump out? Does you? anyone have three hours? <laughs> we don't. We don't, yeah. Um, yeah. We have food waiting. We do have food waiting. Now, we divided those into sort of one was more personal practice orientation. The other was more cultural, social. Yeah, let's start with Western Buddhism a little bit. Yeah. Because mm. I want to make sure we address that and we don't spend too much time there. Good. That's what I was feeling as well. So good. So what was the question? What? Well, there were two questions with that regard. Yeah, yeah. Forget the mindfulness one for the moment. Yeah. So what concerns you most about the current state of Buddhism in the West? How about you? Uh, what do I think? Yeah. Um, well, I was actually thinking about some of these questions beforehand, knowing yeah. that you might throw it back at me. And I was thinking that one of the problems I have is I'm really not that involved in Buddhism in the West at all and haven't been so same here for quite a few years um, and so I'm really an outsider and I wonder what's going on I wonder if some of the experiences that I had 10 years ago when I was still um, spending time with the Kagyu Buddhists from Venice <clears throat> yeah. whether those things are still going on 10 years later I don't you don't know. even know I don't know really I'm that far out far yeah 
Is it the same to you? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, people I talk to are not really typical uh, Western Buddhists. No. Yeah. So uh, I think the first thing that comes to mind is that there's a, there's a, there's a lack of a basic distinction when it comes to uh, three major forms Buddhism takes anywhere, mm. not just in the West. Okay. And uh, because in the early days, uh, and that would be not just the early 20th century, but, you know, the 70s, basically, 60s, 70s, and all into the 80s, perhaps even early 90s, it was all about introducing Buddhism to the West, uh, pretty much. And in that introductory phase, little attention was paid to the distinction between Buddhism as a religion uh, and, and Buddhist organizations basically as churches or synagogues or mosques, whatever, you know, even mo modern ones or mm -hmm. postmodern ones, it's still a mosque or a synagogue or a church, right? Mm -hmm. Um, that's the first form, which is basically about community building and membership and the flock and being a part of it. You know, I'm, I'm here to be a part of this. Mm. Why did you take up meditation practice? Because, you know, in this group, you know, we try to do it. We, it's about we, right? About the group, about all that. It's about having a pastor, about having, you know, uh, You're only as good as your last talk on Buddhism. Did you hear about that? No. It's an actual criterion for Buddhist teachers in quite a few organizations. Really? You're only as good as your last talk. Uh, imagine that. I imagine that produces performance anxiety. Well, every church does, right? Mm. If, if it's a mega church or a nano church or a micro church, you know, it's still the same dynamic. Yeah. You have to perform. You have to make people, you know, you have to inspire, you have to make it fun mm. and, and genuine at the same time. So, you know, it's like, it's like being a chef at a very popular restaurant. Okay. You know, you're only as good as the last plate. Yeah. Right. Well, the, the other context in which I've heard that is fighting. You're only as good as the last fight. That's right. Did exactly. you win or lose? Yeah. Do you still have value based yeah. on that or not? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, a, that's an odd concept to hear. It's an, it's an economically course. competitive situation. Right. Yeah. Right, okay, uh -huh. yeah. 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 Very challenging. And it's pretty much about numbers. Mm. Yeah, and that kind of thing. So that's one thing. Then there's another form Buddhism takes, not just in the West, but also historically across across India, China, mm. you know, even Tibet. It has to develop a form of of practice that that make things better mm -hmm. in people's lives. Now mm -hmm. the chosen form these days is mindfulness and MB, uh, followed by any other letter, you know, mindfulness-based this, mindfulness-based that, mindfulness-based sharpshooting, you know, mindfulness-based uh, warmongering, mindfulness-based uh, Marxism, mindfulness-based uh, nihilism, yeah. right? Mindfulness-based pluralism, mm -hmm. mindfulness-based therapy, mindfulness-based fitness, mindfulness-based... <laughs> bullshitting ourselves, mindfulness-based, whatever, right? So some of these things are really beneficial, mm. you know? They make people's lives better, you know? And not just in a kind of a superficial way, but they actually bring some healing 
and balance into people's lives. So I'm not trying to be sarcastic about the whole thing, mm. but it's a distinct form of trying to be of, 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 of help, trying to be of benefit to the society through helping uh, groups and individuals in whatever their, their life you know is, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So that's quite distinct from the religious part. Although it may, you know, there may be some uh, uh, overlap overlap yeah. there, definitely. But it's also, uh, you know, historically this 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 beneficial or therapeutic part takes more of the uh, of the domestic culture mm-hmm. uh, than the religious part. The religious part retains some of the you know original stories and symbols and practices etc mm-hmm. because the religious part is always about tradition and continuity and you know this is where we come from even though it's a made-up tradition in many ways yeah like all traditions right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and there's also the identity formation taking place there right yeah sure and yeah. in this other case it's it's more secular as we call it these mm-hmm. days yep or you know in the past uh, if you were a taoist you know, or a Confucian, you, you could still do some Buddhist meditation. And that's mm-hmm. exactly what happened when Buddhism arrived in China with its arsenal of methodologies, contemplative, you know, uh, methods. That's exactly what happened. They just acquired those, right? And mm-hmm. they uh, developed their own forms where they were lacking, right? Not necessarily where they already had something. So there was this cross cross pollination, cross influence. That's where it happens in the secular domain or mm-hmm. in the interreligious domain, we may call it, because I think secularism is another form of godless religion. Just basically, yeah, it's an ideology in many ways. Yeah, I'd agree with you there. I'm a bit undecided on whether it's worth categorizing it as a religion or not. Uh, oh well, with 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 quotation marks, yeah. I mean that you know, this second form of Buddhism, quote-unquote, usually requires a different organization, a different organizational form from the church. The church is not ideally structured, suited, you know, poised to disseminate the therapeutic uh, approach, right? Mm -hmm. Because the church is a little bit always about identity Mm -hmm. and about the in-group versus everyone who's on the outside, right? And this thing, this therapeutic thing, has to be neutral, open to everyone kind of thing. So there's a tension between these two forms of Buddhism, you know, the the, the Buddhist Buddhism and the everyone's Buddhism. And uh, the third form, though, is something we can't skip either, which is a Buddhism as, you know, spiritual practice or to be more specific as a mystical path, which is distinct, again, from the therapeutic approach um qualitatively different quantitatively you know less attractive uh, it's just a fact it's not a value judgment at all just like extreme sports will always be quantitatively less attractive than badminton uh, on on, <laughs> on the lawn you know <laughs> Just like, you know, special forces will always be quantitatively, you know, mm-hmm. less developed mm-hmm. than infantry yeah, or whatever else, you know, yeah. right? And for the same reasons, pretty much the same principle structural reasons. There's, yeah. there's, there's more attrition, basically. At every level of the mystical path, there is attrition, which doesn't happen in the religious, uh, you know, congregation. There's no attrition. Hopefully, it just keeps growing, <laughs> right? Yeah. The better it is, the more of it there is. 
and which is not the same with the mystical path. If you have a mystical path with many followers, something is wrong. And it's a different organization. Yeah. And it has a different triangular tension with these other two poles uh-huh. of therapeutic and religious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you I mean, you could have a, an organization that is like like Catholic Church for example, uh, that caters to all three needs. Right? And then you go to the religious congregation and you ask about that strange old lady that knows a lot about prayer. Mm. And they say, "Yes, she's the one to talk to." She's not a nun, is she? No. She actually has, you know, 24 grandchildren. She spends a lot of time at the church here, though. And some people who are interested in deeper aspects of prayer talk to her, even some priests. You're kidding me, right? No. Even my confessor speaks to her. It's a normal thing in Catholic Church mm-hmm. to have, you know, special people who who can be, you know, old ladies, lay practitioners. Mm-hmm. Who, who are much more, uh, much more, who, who have deepened their, their personal practice to a point where it just cannot be ignored mm-hmm. by anyone, including the professional priest or the or or the monk, to the to that point, you know. So, um, it's a normal thing in a Catholic Church. Well, it's not normal in Western Buddhism. Mm-hmm. Uh, as soon as you are a, a, a priest, which would mean a preacher of Buddhism, everyone thinks you know what meditation is. You might have no clue or made no serious progress. You just know how to talk and you're as good as your last talk, right? Mm-hmm. So that's an interesting point. And I think that we are now at, at a point in the development of, of Western Buddhism in general, perhaps it's most most explicitly, most painfully, you know, uh, uh, to be felt in, in American Buddhism. Mm. Uh, but I see it in, in, in every European country where Buddhism is a, you know, a serious presence, like UK or Germany or mm. Spain or, you know, a little bit Italy probably, right? Small scale. Small, yeah, yeah it's, it's smaller, but a little, as I said, a little bit. But... Uh, and this is not something I have discovered, actually, you know, I have been told, right, about this problem, and then I have spent some time thinking about it. And yeah, okay. It's, okay. It's, completely, it's completely congruent with, with what I have experienced mm-hmm. firsthand in developing my own little organization, yeah. these kinds of problems, you know. I, I tried in my first 10 or 15 years of being a, a founder uh, of, of a small you know, local group, local center, uh, without any ambition to spread or get bigger, I have found these three, these three poles in tension. And I have found in my students slash members slash, you know, uh, flock (laughs) slash (laughs) whatever, you know, community, uh, I have found the tension, uh, perplexing. You know, when, 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 when people are exposed to, to, to religious Buddhism, then people are exposed to therapeutic practices. Mm-hmm. Now, how, how, how do those fit with, you know, how does, how does a mindfulness based whatever fit with the three refuge, you know, uh, practice and process, you know, and, uh, and, and then when they are exposed to, to, uh, to an explicit mystical path that is not about making your life any better. Of non and not about making you find a, a, a community where you belong, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. but it's about taking away 
most of the sense of belonging anywhere mm-hmm. so that you could perhaps belong everywhere mm-hmm. you know at at one point in a in a specific way right it doesn't mean you don't belong anywhere but it means you see through your belongings right yeah. you don't you don't necessarily ascribe to those as who or what you are it's it's just a role you hold like like being a parent perhaps or being a child and being a buddhist mm-hmm. And uh, it comes and goes during your day, you know. One moment you're a Buddhist, the other moment you're not. And it's no longer a problem. Of course, for the congregation, it's a problem. Uh-uh. Yeah. Uh-uh. And the same with the therapy, you know. I mean, the mystical practice uh, is not really about making your life better. I mean, if your life is good, you know, kudos. Uh, perhaps you can practice... Uh, with greater ease, fervor, more energy at your disposal, less problems to take care of, you know. You can focus more easily. You can, you know, take time off more easily, right? If you're 1%, right? And, you know, great. But mystical practice won't make you a happier person necessarily. Uh, It will help you to be at peace with your misery (laughs) as well as with your happiness. Mm. But most People, you know, who want to be happier are not interested in being at peace with their misery, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, when they first hear, hear about that, I mean, they go like, what? Are you serious? Going down there? I'm not sure about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here for you to, you know. Make me feel better. Make me feel better, yeah. yeah. But, you know, even even though it's not worded like that. No, of course not. Especially if the person is a, you know mature practicing Buddhist, quote-unquote, then they use a very specific coded language for the phrase, make me feel better, <laughs> you know? Uh, but it's, it's still about, you know, getting to a better place yeah. where you can, you can relax, you know, and where you, can, where you can be fully with whatever is going on. Really? Yeah. So, yeah, these three things um, are all... I would say, meaningful forms of Western Buddhism. I wouldn't discredit or, although I come across in a different way, perhaps because I have my own personal bias here, uh, (laughs) of course, you know, I rarely uh, tell jokes about the mystical approach, Mm. which I should work on, obviously, (laughs) right? (laughs) I do sometimes, don't I? I haven't seen you know t- me. taboo areas for your humor yet, but you, maybe I just didn't notice. You know me better than I do, but I mean, in that, you know, in in, in, in this, uh, I don't hear myself yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that yeah. much. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't see you having a problem with making jokes about that at all, actually, but maybe maybe that's, maybe that's not the case. I think one thing that you've said but maybe, that maybe we should reiterate here, and I wrote about this actually in a blog post, um, is you're right that there's confusion in all areas about what is what, and these three get mixed together. And it's not a Buddhist problem. It's a, it's, exactly. it's a general, yeah. you know, it's yeah. a general uh, latest cultural yeah. issue. Yeah. Just just trying to make everything equally valid, there is a tendency to to confound yeah. everything. Yeah. Because we have, we have become so afraid of value judgments and hierarchical things, like you know, if you say like. You know, religion is religion is about you know connecting to 
the foundation you know of, of, of culture or of a sense of value or morality and things like that beliefs that 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 make you you know more more oriented in a in a in a, in a disifying universe mm. in, in a confusing situation of, of of existing as a human being blah 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 and then we say and then therapy is a horizontal you know, balancing act, and then mystical path is a vertical, whether upward or downward. As soon as we start talking about that, you know, we, there's someone who will recognize a value judgment in that, whatever language we use. Mm-hmm. So it's it's the easy way to avoid all such distinctions and yeah. just say, yeah, there are different emphasis. You know, it's it's a matter of emphasis, but it's all one big little thing, right? Like education is one thing, really. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, uh, you know. Yeah, it's unfortunate because it creates unrealistic ex- expectations. Yeah. on the part of whoever yeah. is involved in any of those three yeah. paradigms. And then you also get you also get the smorgasbord approach, where mm. where you get where you Bit get ex- extremely individualized versions of how to combine these three yeah. vectors: the vector of religion, the vector of therapy, and the vector of mysticism. You know. So what's all this mysticism business then? That's a word that needs perhaps a little bit of unpacking. Well, the word spirituality is is a little bit of a lost case, you know. Yeah, I I tend to agree with that. Yeah, because it, it it's come to mean anything. Uh, it, it means nothing. It, yeah, it's a little bit like love or life, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. unless you want it to mean everything, like life, right? Which is quite explicit, thanks to existentialists. Uh, when you say life, what do you mean by life? Well, I don't mean the biology, right? If you take that away, then you know what you mean. It's life with a big L. It's mm-hmm. everything, right? Mm-hmm. On the other hand, spirituality uh, has come to mean an umbrella term. <clears throat> an umbrella term. I, I think initially the idea was to kind of the the. To democratize mm-hmm. the term. Yeah, that makes you know, sense. Okay. I think, yeah, I think with 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 the with the with the dawn of contemplative psychology and uh, mm-hmm. well, beginning with people like Jung, you know, especially uh, there was a there was a uh, uh, there was a well-intended uh, attempt uh, which succeeded. Uh, to make spirituality a uh, word that may be used at the dinner table, you know, or you, you know, without without being a, you know, uh, without being a religious fanatic, without being a religious fanatic, which again with postmodernity has become a little tricky, right? Yes. Yeah. Oh, for sure. You know, it's not that the 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 term mysticism takes care of anything, right? Really. But it's at least, you know, a way of uh, <clears throat> talking about some things afresh. Taking a, you know, taking a, taking another look at what spirituality stands for. Really. It also sounds like you're making a statement that connects back to the three areas before. Yeah. That you're interested in the third type. Doesn't it? Well, personally, it's not that I'm in favor of the first type. Okay. I think we need to make that distinction, mm. right? It's my personal bias. Okay. It's where it takes me where when I'm called, 
you know, uh, I don't find great sense of fulfillment in preaching the truth to those who with ears to hear, with eyes to see. Mm. You know, I mean, those who hear and see can hear and see for themselves without me preaching to them. And, you know, I'm not Lobsang Rampa to open eyes around <laughs> with a chisel or a, what do you say, a drill? Magical yeah, drill. Magical drill. A Vajra drill, I guess, right? So, uh, yeah, and I don't find myself as being a kind of a therapist guy. Uh, mm. I, you know, so if anything, I'm in need of therapy more than, <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> more than anything else. Yeah. You know, help <laughs> anyone, <laughs> that kind of thing now and then, you know, uh. most of the time. Quite often, you know, you know, except on Fridays. Americans will find that shocking. You're supposed to have your shit together, Hoka. Really? Wow. Yeah, well. Isn't that the, the archetype of a good spiritual teacher these days? You're, you kind of got your shit together. You look good. My PR agent told me that being honest goes a long way, but I may have to fire him. <sighs> oh. Her? Zer? Her? Zim? Z. Z, Z. <laughs> I, have to, uh, I may have to fire Z. Okay. Sorry. Whoops. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> okay. And then you got uh, this kind of, you know, idea of Western Buddhism. Well, it's, it's not one thing. It can't be one thing. It's so many different things, you know. And so I kind of gradually, uh, you know, lost interest in, in trying to make sense of it as it was a unity. Okay. Uh, it's, it's, it's much worse than Asian Buddhism. And you can't really speak of Asian Buddhism. I mean, it's, it's too, it's like speaking of animals, you know, or speaking of languages. Yeah, you can make certain generalizations, but there are so many, so many differences and an incredible, you know, yeah, there's a thin kind of unity, a basic idea that runs through, which is mostly mystical, mm -hmm. uh, not therapeutical at all, and not religious at all. I mean, as a religion, Buddhism is 20 different things across Asia. You know, as a therapy, you know, it, it developed very different approaches in every culture where it went. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, th think about it. Right. Mindfulness is not a big thing in Tibet. No. I mean, go and ask the, the, the herders or the, you know, or the, or the, you know, the, 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 the nomads, you know, about mindfulness. It's not a big thing there. It's a big thing in Japan. Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah? Yeah. And uh, it's a big thing among practicing, meditation practicing Theravadan countries. Mm. Not about, not among the villagers, though. You know? Right, yes. Yeah. 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 But the idea of mindfulness went deepest in Japanese culture. Mm. It's, it's in every do, in every way, you know, the way of the brush, the way of the, the, way of the garden, the way of the sword, the way of the um, tea. The way of the poetry, the way of the calligraphy, it's all based on mindfulness, mindful action. Mm. Uh, learning how to be in the now, you know, right here, fully, uh, emptying yourself while also staying fully present. So, but you don't find that in the same degree in other Buddhist cultures across Asia. So, you know, even in the therapeutic context, we can't talk about one thing much less in the religious context, because Buddhism developed so different forms. In one country, it's all based on monks. 
in another country monks can marry in in a third country it's all mostly lay in a third country it's all about power and politics and money and and prosperity like bhutan mm-hmm. uh, you know in 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 a fourth country it's 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 like catholicism before luther came along yeah i mean yeah you know, yeah uh, so we let's say a little bit more about the mysticism but the mysticism yeah that yeah. part you know when you put two mystics together theravadan and the dzogchen or or a dzogchen and the zen one or a, a chinese chan or korean son and 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 the shingon monk who has done his practice instead of just knowing how to do it <laughs> a uh, then then if you know if you take a, a lay practitioner who's very deep in from Sri Lanka and put them together with a Mongolian guy uh or 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 a or a uh, you know uh, Okinawan lady or whatever who's gone deep you put them together and they find a common language very very quickly and and this is a tell telltale sign that it's it's the mystical strand that brings all these disparate forms together but in the mystical strand the forms are secondary they don't hold the whole thing together you can get rid of the forms or adapt them or change them or or experiment with them or or these days uh, a good test to 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 see whether whether you are you are you know whether you have a mystical capacity is is can you can you can you be ironic with the forms can you be ironic with your forms of practice mm. you know and i i don't mean ironic in the in the sense of making fun of them but i mean ironic in a philosophical sense mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. can you can you experiment with different forms that 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 perhaps uh, rub onto your uh habit of practice you know um can you you know can you can you can you cross dress so to speak you know or is 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 the tibetan robe much more spiritual than the japanese one mm-hmm. uh is the you know is, is is the lay position you know really much less efficient way of practicing than the celibate one is the cave meditation really more likely to bring you to the brink of madness and then into enlightenment than perhaps having seven kids and raising them properly uh things like that can you cross dress you know can you do that while continuing to practice that's the good test mm. well most people in therapy and in religion can't do that no, no they would they would no. refuse to do that outright yeah. no matter if their religion or therapy is pre-traditional shamanic right yeah. traditional modern postmodern or supermodern or whatever mm. uh they would just refuse to do that mm-hmm. they would say this is where it's at yeah and including the definitions and the vocabulary and everything the forms of practice the form the forms of gathering the forms of making it make sense you know the the forms of morality the expected behaviors it's difficult to i think at least from my perspective it's difficult to avoid making um an explicit value judgment about the three as you described them in the sense that if i think about the writing i do on my blog and some of the conversation topics on the podcast there's an implicit assumption there that it would be nice to push more people towards what you've described as the mystical end i don't think so yeah and i think that's 
That's you're right, but it it does leave a gap. <laughs> well, there's a self selection at play. There is that too. But we I, can't. I, th- I think about the people that are you can't make drawn. people go anyway. No, of course not. Without serious bad, you know, uh, consequences. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think my concern for a long time has been that, and this is why I still like this post traditional. I mean, Jesuits have tried that. Yeah, is that. A lot of people, perhaps, or a lot of people, some people who would be drawn towards the third category, as you've described it, may not find it. Because as you've described, there's confusion within the three. They get mixed together. And it's very difficult for people, I think, sometimes to discern. And then expectations come into play. And it's difficult to get some quality conversation or instruction that makes the distinction you've made. Um, and my concern, in a sense, is that the the therapeutic and the religious ends up being an obstacle for people to actually go deeper if they want to. Well, you know, it's not the first time we encountered this problem. Both both Tantra and Zen started as mystical traditions, and then through institutionalization, That's lost. they became religious traditions. Yeah, you know, explicitly yeah. so. Yeah. And the the uh, the move was one from a from a practice of a few, and and by few I don't mean select or you know, special or something. the few yeah. special, yeah. rare, you know, most of them failed at what they tried to do. Let's be honest, you know, it's if you want to be a success, join the religion, you know, it's much easier, you know, you, the odds are much better that you're going to be, a, you know, an unfailing religious person than an unfailing mystical person. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's even hard to imagine a mystical path between, uh, without being a failure most of the time. I mean, just look at the sacred biographies. Even there, in the in the midst of metaphors and symbols and exaggerations and and hagio hagiographical exuberation, you know, you can see failure going on all the time. Uh, it's it's a path of disaster, for God's sake, most of the time, you know, personally speaking, socially speaking. So come and join us. <laughs> no, we're not. We're not proposing anything. Yeah. We're not yeah, trying yeah. to sell it or anything like that. We're we're just. I'm just advocating, uh, you know, a, a much higher degree of clarity when it comes to uh, recognizing how it's how all these three elements are well basically necessary, uh, because of how society is and because how we as social beings are. Mm. So I think, yeah, everyone would benefit from exposure to the, you know, therapeutic palette. It, both, both palettes. Both palettes in English? Yeah. Okay, let's use spectrum then. <laughs> <laughs> well, toolbox. <laughs> That's good for the American listeners. Toolbox. Yeah, toolbox. Yeah, spectrum's yeah. nice. Yeah, but... toolbox. Yeah. So everyone would benefit from the therapeutic uh, yeah. toolbox. Right. Yeah. So yeah. Well, yeah. It's good for everyone. You know, find your tool, use it. Uh, don't overuse it when it's no longer useful. Find a different tool, use it. You know, daily, weekly, whatever. You know, if you're been diagnosed, be careful. You know, seek some expert advice, etc., etc. You know, don't drink and drive, etc., etc. And uh, however, uh, you know, the religious part. I mean. You know, do you feel like proselytizing here? Hmm. I'm not sure, you know, I'm not a missionary kind of guy, you know, join us. I did want to connect something back to what you were saying. Um, I was thinking about this this morning, um, this whole idea of awakening. 
much of the vision of awakening these days is like um, a sort of therapeutic ideal. Often awakening is interpreted in modern Buddhist discourse, especially with some of these, these individuals who seem to be striking out on their own and claiming to be awakened, whatever that's supposed to mean. I was thinking, uh, first of all, I, I looked at a couple of websites. Being, being, being done is another... Being done. Uh, yes, right. I, I like that one. Being done. Oh, are you? Well, we're not done with you, are we? <laughs> yeah, I'm well, done. Are you? You know what? I saw a few of well, these websites of, so, of these self-claimed awakened <laughs> folks, and I was thinking, these guys look like peacocks. And it's like um, a badge of honor. Yeah. To claim awakening, you become an awakened peacock. Well, in some ways, yeah. But some of them... Some of them have uh, argued that it's necessary to spread your feathers just so to demystify what it's all about, you know. Well, if, if, we, if we talk about, you, you know, know like, let the clock colors fly and right. let everyone have their, make up their mind about it, you yeah. know. We can't hide it all the time. It's become a, there's a stench of uh, mystification as yeah. opposed to mysticism, yeah, you know. Yeah, there's, well, I think that's that's noble, and I think that's quite good in many cases. If it's I think Daniel did a good job, and if you listen to Daniel, although he's you mean Dan Ingram, yeah, although yeah. he's eccentric, I mean he he he's constantly admitting that you know the work is not done. I mean he's talking about a very specific form of completion, and then he's talking about ethics and learning how to live in the world as an ongoing process. That's true. Learning, that's right? true. Which I, is what many yeah. folks don't do. Right? Yeah, and I commend that. Yeah, emphasis. Yeah. Yeah, that the work goes on. Yeah. Some forms of seeking end, that's true. Yeah. Some forms of seeking and some expectations die. Yeah. That's very important. Well, I think the, the story of the self, you know, which Buddhism in many ways is helping to address, permanent changes in a sense can take place there. But my, my, my thought on this was that um, this second, the second modality of Buddhism as therapy a lot of people seem to be selling this notion of awakening as like a therapeutic ideal, as in, if you wake up, you will suddenly be happy. If you wake up, you are suddenly going to be all right. You can have your shit together, to use that expression again. I'm, I'm slightly perplexed by that, and I think it's slightly concerning. Well, it's, deep, it's deeply transactional, as all therapies. Yeah. You know? It's deeply transactional. Right. And, you know, if, if you're okay with transaction, that's okay, you know? And then you go like, okay, I want to be, you know... Uh, I want to be an awakened kind of guy, you know. Uh, how do I do that? Where do I put my money? Yeah. You know, how many reps a day? <laughs> you know, is there a scheme? Is there a kind of a thing I need to sign up to? And is there a coach? Is there, a, you know, is there someone who can come to my home once a week and make me do the stuff I need to do? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'll commit. You know, I'm good. I'm good. I'll commit. Let's go. Very yeah. yeah, I have some people, you know, uh, mm, approach me, you know, with these kinds of ideas as, you know, I'm not really in the market, so to speak, you know, somewhat. Some people, you know, mistakenly ended in my neck of woods. Ended up, uh, yeah. Ended up in my neck of woods, yes, thank you. And uh, <laughs> I was their old lady with the cookies. Mm. <laughs> you know the story, right? In the forest. Yes. Come on in. Eat. Come on in. Yeah. I'll give you something to get, eat. Get by the nice warm fire. I have a nice oven. Yeah. You were you were that. Yes. Well, that's a fun role, isn't it? I let them escape. Yeah. You yes. let them escape. Yes. 
Okay. When they realized, you know, what kind of place it is. Seriously, uh, we can, you know, be so outrageous to speak of awakening as something that, whether we like it or not, will be defined in all three ways. Yeah, right. You know? Yeah, good. I mean, is that outrageous? I don't know. Uh, uh. And then, you know, there's some, you know, well, there's a method to the madness. And this is where the whole therapeutic awakening comes in. You know, there's a method to the madness. You do this, you do that. There are these stages that you go through, all right? And then there's this, uh, there's this plastic, you know, forcing of your experience into the stages. You know, am I in the dark night territory? Yeah, you're a dark night yogi, right? Yeah. I have at least five students at this point. Uh, Skype students who are in deep anxiety uh, territory and all of them came thinking it was dark night. All of them. Mm-hmm. And they were all told it was dark night. Ah. And then I have first to explain how dark night is not a Buddhist thing. You know, mm-hmm. it's a Christian thing. Yep. It's about God hiding after being spotted. And then they go like, oh, Really? It's not a Buddhist thing? No. <laughs> it's not a Buddhist thing. It's come, it's come, it comes from a nun who had a teacher, you know, St. John of Cross, and her name was blah, 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 and you should read her book, and he wrote a book also. Mm-hmm. And that's Dark Knight. And then this is just a borrowed term to describe something quite different, which is not what you have. Mm-hmm. Either of those is not what you have. You have serious anxiety issues. Mm-hmm. And you're, you, you've been severely depressed for two years, which, which meditation made worse, etc., etc., etc. And let's try if we can, you know, make things better first mm-hmm. and then see if you can, you know, get your practice back on track uh, by doing something much different than what you used to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Something like that. So I, I have a big problem with formulaic approaches to awakening Mm -hmm. because of the idiosyncrasies um, innate to human experience. Everyone is very different. The path cannot be mapped. Uh, uh, The path cannot be mapped uh, except very, very, in, in a very generalized manner, you know. So if if practicing means waking up, I'm okay with that. It's a very interesting, creative, you know, uh, description of awakening. But I don't think that's what's, 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 uh, you know, what's, what, what awakening is supposed to mean according to the classical texts, you know. So, so, uh, there goes the therapeutic model uh-huh. or the, 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 you know, the fitness model or whatever you want to call it, the, the trained person's model, you know, do these things and there you go. Right. I'm not sure about that. I mean, you go somewhere, but, but why should we call it awakening? I mean, you know, we could, of course, but then we have, then it becomes like spirituality. Well, I think it's going that way. Yeah. Well, uh, is it? I think so. I mean, seriously, I was surprised by the number of people um, defining themselves as awakened and coming from Buddhism and then offering a path to awakening. 
in a coaching climate in, a, in three steps in 12 steps and whatever but there's usually a, a stages model yeah 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 um i mean some of these people have clearly been inspired by Daniel. and it usually takes you a year or two it doesn't take too long apparently yeah it took me a year to learn how to do prostrations <laughs> properly but you know i'm just thick <laughs> if you say so it took me 10 years to learn how to drink ah really yeah what age did you start sorry what age did you start well with my ah, i started before being of age of course i had a grandfather you know who knew what wine was and so i had my first taste when i was uh when it was illegal i would guess it would would be child abuse these days (sighs) no really (laughs) don't mention it on air it's my trauma yeah yeah i think most italian children have been abused in that that, yeah exactly a bit of wine yes yeah, you know what they do here as well. Um, that you put like a, a thin thimble or just a very like a shot version of wine. Yeah, and you fill the glass with water. Yeah, that's why six and seven year olds get that all yeah, the time. Yeah, I have that. I have that every yeah. day. Yeah, it's probably scandalous for somebody somewhere. But okay, yeah, I'm, awakening is a funny word. It's obviously an English word that's been put into usage and practice for a variety of reasons. I think one thing that we can talk about though are general trends and. I think a lot of these practices end up can end up becoming dehumanizing or going in the direction of the myth of the superhuman. And if I, you'll tell me what you think about that. But to me, I still haven't quite got a good definition of mysticism from you. But what you described in the way you described the old lady in the church, you know, who perhaps is the one that knows how to pray. Um, the humanity is often lost. And I think it's the humanity that doesn't go away, whatever you claim to be or whatever you might be defined or not defined. And to me, the humanity is what makes any of this valuable or interesting. So therapy just becomes a coping mechanism. If religion just becomes a way from hiding out, and then if a a mystical approach ends up being escapism from your humanity, then I think we end up with some of the problems we see, for example, in these people that came to you and said, you know, they think they've, they've got to a certain path level They're confusing that. They're not able to deal with the humanity, which is the fact that they're actually Poor buggers suffering from depression and humanity, which is very human. Well, in one case, it could be both, you know. It could be what some people call dark, dark night territory triggering, okay. know, uh, triggering anxiety. Yeah. Uh, this is my view. Okay, so I said made this statement before about confusing my view with what everybody should be doing. But one of the things that I do hold is important is um, part of the public discourse reclaiming that humanity so that people don't get lost for years in these unrealistic expectations about what they could be doing, what they should be doing, and what must be happening, because the discourse doesn't actually allow for the you know the failure that you described before. Mm. I don't know if I'm being clear there. I, mm. I see that as a big loss. I see that as being, I guess, in a sense, to use a metaphor that's still quite popular in Buddhist discourse, this idea of you know spiritual materialism that Chogyam Trumper got into. Oh, bypassing also. You know, and the, yeah. the bypassing yeah, is the one that's come up more recently. Yeah. And that's part of it, but I would say in both cases, there's like there's a tendency for people to lose sight of their basic humanity, and the fact that we are embedded in this this, this social human world that you can't escape from. Oh, this is the like music for my ears, you know what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, we should have done this before. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, wait, we did this before. It didn't work out. Yeah, humanity. Yeah, that's a, that's a strong word there. It's a good word that hasn't lost its shine. Yes. No, it hasn't at all. So rehumanizing, 
That's the way to put it. I like Re- rehumanizing. Some dehumanization takes place uh, due to social dynamics, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Economic, you know, cultural alienation, superficiality, mm-hmm. uh, lack of dimensionality in one's life, you mm-hmm. know, specialization, being what you do, uh, being what your work is or... However, there's also, as you pointed out, a spiritual addition to this dehumanizing problem. Whenever spirituality promises a, an alternative to being human. Yeah. Right? Yep. Uh, or describes the human experience uh, in itself as a veil of tears, proverbial, you know. Or inferior to some imagined Or samsara, you know, yeah. or things like that, when it goes too literal with with, mm-hmm. with, with the traditional skillful metaphors, mm-hmm. uh, which is not a specialty of Buddhism, to be honest, you know. I mean, yeah, there is the addition of the, of the spiritual domain to the problem of dehumanization, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And... Uh, but I don't think the the I don't think the therapeutic camp is to blame for that, you know. I mean, if anything, they want to make you human plus. Hmm? Yeah. Right. Kind of. Yeah. It's like you know, why would you have a belly if you sit in office all day? Hmm. You know, you don't have to. You know. Yeah. That kind of thing. So it's 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 a better you, right? You can still continue sitting in the office right even without that belly so uh, it's it's the same with that kind of awakening where where you get to keep your uh, you get to keep your uh, normal humane uh, misgivings and uh, limitations and all that but on top of that you are also uh, schizophrenically awake to this other dimension mm. where it's all just a dream right? Mm. The famous idea of two truths. Right. As if there was a one truth to begin with. <laughs> problems of translation. Yeah. Problems of translation. Yeah. You being a, an amateur translator, you know how bad it gets sure. at times, right? But there is one issue, though, just to finish this off before we stop for, for lunch. Um, there is a very strong correlation I think between... We're, the research taking place. Oh, oh yeah, we'll get back there. Yeah, let's get back there right. a little bit. Maybe we can although, go with that. Although I'm, what's the opposite of expert? An amateur? Uh, no, I don't think so. An amateur is still informed by experts. Okay. An amateur is on the opposite uh, end right. of the scale. But I, I wanted to say that I'm the opposite of expert when it comes to scientific research. An idiot. An ignorant. Ignoramus. <laughs> an idiot. Okay. No, in the yeah. Greek term, you know, because an idiot used to be a politically uh, a politically uninterested person. Ah, uh, really? Yeah. Someone, oh, who, someone who refused okay. to take part okay. in, in social matters. Yeah. And to, you know, you know to, to kind of shoulder, yeah. shoulder the social responsibility. Yeah. That yeah. was what an idiot would be. Those, okay. those okay. who don't vote and those yeah. who can't be elected, you know. Oh, there's still lots of that about. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm 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 a scientific research idiot when it okay. comes to that. I'm really not interested so much in what science has to tell us about awakening. Yeah. I don't think it resides in the brain anyway. Mm. And no one has a clue what the brain is, except that it's an organ without which we cannot stay alive. And as far as I know, the only organ that cannot be kept functioning outside of a human body, something like that. Oh, it could be. Uh, is it? I share your ignorance. On on ice or 
Can so. Passo, I don't know. I don't know. I think yeah. so. Yeah. So anyway, something like that. But I'm not. I'm not really interested in that. So because I'm an idiot, I don't want to talk about it publicly. That's uh, fine. Because being an idiot publicly is highly inconvenient. <laughs> <laughs> I want to stay a private idiot when it comes to scientific research on yeah. on awakening. Well, that's fine. Uh, But the point there, anyway, is that that loop that we started off with. It, I think the religious there. Buddhism still there. is much more, you know, uh, the culprit of this awakening uh, confusion business. So then, far. Then, so far. Then the therapeutic part. Yeah. Or the so-called pragmatic part. Yeah. Which I don't think is much pragmatic at But all. I think that's what's coming I mean, next. You know, the meaning of pragmatic these days is, is far removed from what the word should mean. Okay. That's, that's sometimes true. I do agree. Yeah. Pra- okay. I, I think the therapeutic is going to be, in a sense, the battlefield for definitions that comes next. You know, if you look at all these people that claim to be awakened who are going through these brain scanners, again, I'm ignorant like you, but I'm, what I'm saying is that that confusion that you described at the beginning between is it religion, is it therapeutic, or is it something mystical in a sense, that's going to come back in that way because you go, you got people already writing books promising the science of awakening, you see, through mindfulness and through a secular approach. Well, sorry for my full, uh, half full mouth. That's right. Yes, back is good. It's good job. But if you look at who did most work with bridging Buddhism and science, it was people in monk's robes, not, not the lay mindfulness uh, pioneers Yeah, so much. They joined the, 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 the caravan. Okay, that's true. They have. Later on. Yeah, yeah. It was mostly the Zen people in the 60s, and then later on with, with the electrodes and everything, and later on Tibetans, Tibetan monks, even the Dalai Lama giving his, uh, you know, amen to the whole uh, uh, enterprise, mm. uh, and, you know, presenting it as a grand project of the 21st century. Mm-mm. So actually, I think it's a matter of a, uh, it's 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 a form of scientism or a modernist modernist form of Buddhist religion that mm-hmm. uh, that on top of its traditional textual arguments known as agama and on top of its yogi experiential arguments known as adigama or realization. So it's you know learning and realization side by side. Now they also want to have measurements as a third gamma. Which, which interestingly enough, exists as a as a you know as a as a Greek word, ah. gamma, right? Okay, so, yeah, so right. We, yes, yes. So we have agama for the sutra, you know, and shastra. Yeah. We have adigama for practices and realizations, and we have gamma for the scientific uh, findings and measurements of what happens when agama and adigama hit peak, you know, in someone's internal dynamic you know what happens in the brain what happens in the molecules of the body you know what happens in the field around the person let's measure it let's see if we can then induce the same kind of happening with a machine perhaps with an aluminium foil hat you know <laughs> <laughs> let's put a bookmark in this let's go have lunch let's go have a lunch